Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is She and Her. I am Sandra Davidson. And I am Anita Rao. Happy to be in the studio on this frigid, rainy evening. Quite a November situation we have out there. It is true. So we're going to kick this set off, but this is a moment I think that we have to do every week right now. Cell phone. Where are you? Cell phone. Screen oh, time. Okay. Is it pretty bad? Mine's horrible. I honestly haven't checked, so I'm. this is going to be a real-time analysis. Okay. Um, so my instinct is that it's less than okay. before. <laughs> I'm optimistic. Mm-hmm. And it is. Okay. Two hours, 40 minutes per day. Look at you. I have not been under three hours That's yet. That's awesome. So... Why do you think it's... Oh, my God. Okay. Well, there's a slight reason why, now that I'm looking back, I did have to get a new phone. Oh, that's right. Your phone was broken. (laughs) On Saturday, though. So since Saturday, my average is two hours, 40 minutes, which I don't think is terrible. That's awesome. How about you? Well, I was hanging out in the upper twos recently for the last few weeks, but I'm back to three hours and 36 minutes, 26 minutes above average. Um, You know why? Why? Because I was so stressed last week. So yeah. I was just compulsively looking at my cell phone. Do you know that your partner sh- shared his screen time with me? What? Um, so we were joking about it the other day. And I was like, God, I bet yours is like two minutes. You're so, you've like such a good relationship with your phone. And then I just get the screenshot <laughs> from him that says, weekly report, you averaged 29 minutes of screen time last Shut week. <laughs> I was like, well, okay then. You know what, though? That's because he's not on social media. And if I were not on social media, (laughs) which I like to say I can't do that because of my job. Yeah, right. Exactly. That is an hour and 34 (laughs) minutes on average a day of my time, which across... It's really just professional development. It's professional (laughs) development. Um, I don't know what productivity... Maybe that means emails. Yeah. I don't know. That... That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I know. Does it disappoint me in myself? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. I'm, it's funny he didn't, he knew I would give him hell <laughs> if he shared that with me. 
We are happy to be in the studio tonight with a very special guest. Uh, today we have Monet Noel Marshall in studio. Monet, welcome. Hey. So I guess maybe first just introduce yourself a little bit and talk a bit about where you are in this moment in your artistic journey. Absolutely. So, hey, y'all. My name is Monet. Um, I am an artist living in Durham, making work in Durham. Um, but I'm originally from Long Island, the strong island, New York. <laughs> and um, that feels really important to me. <laughs> um, I call myself an, an artist, a director, a cultural organizer, um, really thinking about how do we use arts and culture to help shape and create the communities that we want to live in? And then how do we hold the communities once we have them there? Um, and not just thinking about our governments or businesses as the folks shaping that, but also as cultural makers, but we also have a big role to play in that and not wanting to shirk away from that responsibility or that privilege. So that's kind of my overall. I'm also the founding artistic director of Mojoa Performing Arts Company. It's a four-and-a-half-year-old uh, theater company run by my family, and Mojoa stands for Monet, Jordan, and Aaron. Me and my brother's names mash together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the director of programs at BAE Raleigh, which is the art space in downtown Raleigh. So you have your fingers in a lot of pots. <laughs> yeah. But can we take us to sort of your journey to being the artist in the, the community engaged person that you are. Mm. So tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah. So um, I moved to the Triangle in 2012. I went to A&T, North Carolina A&T State University for school and studied theater. Um, then I went home back to New York and then my dad retired um, from his job. like, we're moving to the South. I was like, I just left the South. <laughs> um, but I came down and one of the first things I did was audition for a show and I got cast and I don't know how normal people make friends, but I do shows. So <laughs> <laughs> those became my, uh, my, my friends, my people. And like, I got deeply connected to the theater scene in Durham and at the time, the theater scene that I felt most connected to was around, like, Man Bites Dog and, like, folks who were working there. And it also felt predominantly white. And I was like, where are all the black people? Um, so then it also made me search to find, like, where are black culture makers making and being? Um, and I started to find them. And then I also was like, well, I want to have a conversation with them because that's what I'm up to and want to do. So we had the State of the Black Arts Forum. And... Just like one thing after another, like I think communities, especially in the South, it's like you meet one person, they're like, oh, you know, you need to meet my friend so-and-so. And And the friend so-and-so, you need to meet my boss so-and-so. And then you build your community in these like slow, organic, porch-sitting, sweet tea kind of ways, Um, which over the last six years, six and a half years is how I've gotten here to this moment of like being able to create really large work for me as an artist it doesn't matter what I make if I'm not making it with people whose relationships, like it feels like it's edifying the relationship. Mm. I'm never interested in like going into a rehearsal process. And then afterwards someone's like, I don't want to work with Monet again. Mm-hmm. I'd rather actually make something that the audience was like, mm, I didn't really get it. I didn't really like it. But the performers and the artists involved were like, I had so much fun being with these people or like I met people who I want to continue to be in relationship with. Um, that's actually more important to me. So Which kind of seems like it ties into that interest that you have in community building mm-hmm. too. And so why do you think 
artists are the people that are so important to do that with? Mm -hmm. Like, why are they your your priority above, say, the audience? That's not what you normally... Yeah, I think because um, I really believe in the power of radical relationships. So radical relationships for me are relationships that would not exist without intentional manipulation and Mm -hmm. shift. So when I think about the first show I did this year, I had like 21 folks involved other than myself. And there are folks who would not have met one another if not for that experience, right? And now there are folks that when they see each other in the streets of Durham, they're like, oh, hey, hey, Meg. And Leroy knows Meg and Meg knows so-and-so. And and I see the threads playing out. So I see relationships and um, collaborations and projects and ideas sparking off from the fact that we spent two weeks in rehearsal. And because it is art, folks play it off, right? If we're going to a community meeting at the city council and talking about affordable housing, the stakes feel so much higher that we feel afraid to play and we feel afraid to risk. But if I'm saying, like, we're going to create this thing, y'all. I don't really know what it is. We're going to do it, though. Let's just play and figure it out. Everyone is so much calmer, but we don't actually realize we're building a new world. Mm. So what was your environment like growing up in terms of your relationship with the arts? Because I can imagine the sense of play is something that has to be cultivated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, My mother is a consummate artist. Um, She has a master's in playwriting and a bachelor's and associates that she all that she earned all while I was from 10 to about 21. So like the year she got her master's, I also got my bachelor's degree. Love that. Um, so I, one, really got to watch her explore her artistry. Like I was going to her rehearsals at the community college for her shows that she had to be in for class. And she was a full-time theater student. You know what I'm saying? So I, I had those experiences. Almost like I went to theater school twice because of that. And then she was also leading um, like a dance ministry at church. So I got to see her leadership in that space as like a woman leading other women in creativity and movement. Um, And then we always had like dance rehearsals in our living room because we had this big (laughs) like this whole wall that was like this glass mirror. And for me, it taught me this really strong sense of body awareness that like I can choreograph and dance and I know what my body looks like moving because I'm so used to seeing my body. Um, I think those things and them being so a part of my life. Like we were always singing. Like after dinner, we had a mat in the kitchen. It's like, all right now, go go entertain us after dinner. It was like a, a real thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just such a part of my life that I don't. It feels hard to parse it out. And and your father was a police officer, is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, he was. He worked for the NYPD for twenty one and a half years. Um, but he still had. He was in a band in high school, and like <laughs> he was a DJ. He tells stories like he would go DJ like parties and like public enemy would be there because <laughs> yes. he's from long island <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> um and he dances too um i love my daddy he cannot hold a tune if there's a string attached <laughs> but he can dance his behind off so there's that so yeah. how did your family come to create your own theater company mm-hmm. so when we moved down here um we found there wasn't an active black theater company there were theater companies who were doing works by black playwrights or like casting a lot of black folks in their shows but there was not a theater company that was like run by black folks just doing black work um and because we had so much artistic skill in the house we were like well, why don't we start one um yeah and that's how that started and i can't believe it but we'll be five in may and when you were growing up were you was that a part of your reality like working in 
art organizations that were black owned and black run. Mm-hmm. So was that something that you were accustomed to, you know, in your hometown and then you came down here? And- um, not really. I mean, a lot of my, well, yes. And actually, okay. Because Let's I, do it. yeah, <laughs> like, <now that laughs> I think about it. They're like these, when I think about the folks who've had the most impact on my art life, they're all black women. Um, there is a black woman named Charlene Berry who ran a summer theater, musical theater camp. And like she would write a show for us and we would sing all these tunes that she also taught us about musical theater history. Um, and I did that for five years. I had my mama in my house. And then I had like in my high school, there's this black woman named Lynette Carr Hicks and she ran show choir. But we didn't do like the kind of glee show choir mm-hmm. songs we did a lot of like motown and like those songs cool. and we did it every year and like she trusted us so much like i was choreographing pieces with 200 people when i was like 14 wow so and then we were like go be on tv we would go perform here we would do other things like she her show choir just won the national awesome. show choir awards in chicago like so i really do feel like even though i wasn't in necessarily organizations that were right. all black it was always black women who were feeding into right. my arts life and telling me that, like, no, you're a real artist right now. I you don't have to, like, that. wait. Yeah. And so you and your mom have worked together throughout this five years of the theater company. Can you talk a bit about what that is <laughs> <Your> like? <face. laughs> how that works? Because I can't – I mean, I feel like doing something creative with anyone that I'm related to would be would be a challenge. Yeah, Um I want to preface all of this by saying I love my mama. Really. <laughs> we all love our mama. I love my mama so much. I literally just got off the phone with her. Um, so one, I feel like I have been trained up for a really long time to be her collaborator. Um, I feel like she's the person I've had the longest collaborative relationship with. Uh, I started choreographing when I was about 10 um, and have been choreographing with her and creating work with her for almost 20 years, right? So, one, we have a language and a way of being. And not to say that way of being is always great or healthy (laughs) or feels good, but it's our way. Um, But I think what shifted when we moved here, I went to school, I got my degree, and when we started the company, it was the first time she was really seeing what the school gave me. There was a lot of, like, imbalance for a long time. Sure. But... I feel like with time, we have found this, like, I I respect the way that you do these things. I respect the way you do these things. And we don't have to agree on everything, um, which is why I think this moment of shifting and figuring out what's next for Mojoa, um, I'm really excited about a new way of being with her, where it's more of her vision up front, and I could just, like, support while also being an artist on my own in another way, which I think is also what has led me to create this tr- part of the reason of what has led me to create this trilogy of work this year. Well, tell us about the trilogy. Yeah. So um, 2018 has, for me, has been the year of the Buy It, Call It trilogy. Um, the It started with Buy My Soul and Call It Art. And the second was Buy My Body and Call It a Ticket. And this third show is Buy My Art and Call It Holy. Um what I'm realizing as I'm preparing for this third piece is that most of the impetus for the work is like a deep rage. Mm. And I don't engage with my rage a lot because I get really afraid that if I let myself fully fall into it, I won't dig out that I like carry the rage of like generations upon generations of um, disrespected black women. And then also my own rage of living in my own body in this world. as like a queer 
fat, cisgendered, uh, black woman living in the American South. Um, yeah. But then how do you transmutate this whole series? This thing, like, how do you transmutate rage into love hmm. has been the question. And I didn't realize it was the question until like two days ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it's like a really new thing. I-, I knew that the first piece was about anger, right? Like anger about um, how black artists and black bodies and um, black art is misused and undervalued and stolen and misappropriated in mainstream art spaces. I knew that. Um, And I knew I was angry about that. I knew that the second piece was about like my body and dealing with the stories of my body and unpacking that and the ways in which actually the story that I carry, most of it is stories that everyone else carries too. I knew that. (laughs) Um, And then, but this third piece, I was just like, I don't, I knew it was about my grandmas. I knew it was about love. I knew it was about art and holiness and whatever that means. But I was like, oh, actually, I'm upset that this feels like a novel idea that I can call myself holy mm-hmm. and that I can call myself art and that there are people walking around right now that don't know how holy and artful they are just by being. Like, that actually makes me really angry. Like, I have a rage about that. Like, the sadness and a fear about what someone can do and what someone can let be done to them when they don't know who they are. Yes. Yeah. I want to unpack, like, each of the parts of your trilogy (laughs) because there's just so much there and so many amazing threads. But what struck me when I explored your first piece was how willing you are to make people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in their process of participating in your art. So can you walk us a little bit through what that first piece was and the question that you were kind of hoping that people would start to ask themselves. Yeah. Um, So the first piece, all of my pieces have really interactive and immersive elements. Um, The first piece was a guided tour. Like the first thing you walk in the door and there's a black person with shades on at this table with like an abacus and a calculator and fake dollars and the first thing they ask also my shows are pay what you can pay what you want pay what it's worth so no one paid anything before they got there so they walk in and most people are like oh, i'm gonna get some money now and what the person asks is like what is black art worth to you is the very first thing literally some man was like is this a setup and walked out wow um white men i love y'all but y'all are actually the most sensitive when it comes to this. (laughs) Like, no, for real. Like, when I looked at the numbers, when I looked at how much people were paying, white men were the least attended, and they paid the least for the show. Interesting. As on average. And And give us a sense, so people, you know, I would pull out my credit card, for example, and I would say, like, uh, $13, and then you would charge me? No. No. So then the person would, like, take that number uh-huh. and, like, play with the abacus and then give you some fake dollars. And okay. Like, okay. Okay. And then as a group, you would travel through. It's so, like the first scene, like this black man in this box and it's clear. He's just, like, dancing on his back turn, just getting it. And the tour guide says, um, you are encouraged to pay the artist. And these two slots are on either side of him. He turns around. He's still dancing, getting it. So people start putting money, like, in the slots. And he's like, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. And he's like, wait, but I don't I don't know where it's going, y'all. Like, I appreciate it, but I can't get to it. Like, I'm sorry. So some people, like, put money over the top or try to slide their money. But some people kept putting money in the slots. And like, he was like, I don't know, but thank you. And the tour guide takes folks around the back of the boxes. And on either side are these two white folks in these, like, white outfits. And they're, like, 
stuffing the money in their shirts and throwing it in the air and like counting it. But meanwhile, they're saying, you know, man, they're just not funding the arts like they used to. I guess we have to cut that inner city uh, program. Man, if people understood the power of art, they would really give us more money. Da 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 da. Like all of that. Um, and then they go back around the front. And you see him. And he's trying to like get his groove back, but it's like lost like some power and energy. Um, and the whole show is pretty much like that. So there's six pieces. So you go through these different pieces and there's an art auction, but the artist is this black woman in a leotard standing on this white auction cube. And this white man is auctioning her art, but she's holding it in front of her like body. Mm. Um, you know, there's a black joy room that only black people can come in. There's a like Nemo's cafe where you can buy emotional labor. Like you can buy a smile or a laugh or, a, you know, respond, respond with grace, respond with analysis. And you can like ask a question. What is, tell us about the black joy room. Cause I know black joy is a concept that you've explored both in this show and in other iterations. Yeah. So I know that that show, black folks who were experiencing that show would have a very different experience than other folks. Um, I know that watching other people engage with the work could also be hard for them. And I wanted them to know that, like, but I'm going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. So, like, here's a respite. Like, here's a moment that you're just going to go in this room and, like, make it whatever you want. There's some, mu- some music playing. There's two black women holding down the space. Kick it. Cool. What I didn't expect, though, was, like, there were a few groups that they were like, y'all, we need to give them some money. And, th- like, they never asked for money in this space. But it's, it was often a black woman who, like, y'all, like, it's like a rent party. Like, you can't just come up in their house and get their labor and not give them something. So, and then sometimes as they were leaving, some of the other folks who were standing outside would give their money to the, some, to the black women, too. Just like, I, I see the work that you're doing, mm. right? I didn't expect that. A lot of audience members did things I didn't expect, and I'm really excited to explore it. I'm thinking about putting out a book about the whole trilogy, so where I get to, like, dig into all these things. Um, But, yeah, so the last thing that they come to, they go to the Emotional Labor Cafe, they buy their things, they total out. The tour guide asks them to give the money back, and then they're brought to this table, and I'm sitting on one end, and they're sitting on the other, and there's signs on either side of them, like, this is not a processing space, and then there's, like, my cash app, like, we accept cash card, and then my cash app information. And I say, how much will you pay me for my work? (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And that's when they pay for the show. And wow. they pay and they're like, well, how much do you think it's worth? I'm like, that's up to you. Mm. And, you know, they'll try to ask questions. They try to barter and negotiate. Or, really? Or, yeah. Or sometimes, People try to negotiate? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about some like, of the very... Walk yeah. me through that. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like, so it, like, is $20 okay? And I'm just like, you know, like, I'm not... Just straight uh, face. Just straight face. I, I was just very... I had, like, a little suit on. I had my hair pulled up and I just sat there and just let them like work through their own stuff. And they knew you were the creator. None of them, none of them, not all of them knew that either. So, and it was interesting. It was all, it was usually, again, it's usually a white man. They'd be like, who are you? So that was often fascinating too. um, That people didn't always know who I was. Um, Very, very interesting. Okay. So can you walk us through part two? Sure. Okay. Um, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm ready for the book. Uh, yeah. Like, I have the book right now. Yes, I do. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Um, part two. So folks who came to the first one, they were like, all right, I'm preparing myself this time. Okay. Because <laughs> um, so many, yeah, I really wish that I had talked to like folks at Coco Cinnamon because so many folks just sat in Coco Cinnamon for like hours. Like, I don't know what I just experienced. So, um, yeah, so the second show is called Buy My Body and Call a Ticket. It was at The Fruit. The Fruit has a much more like warehousey feel, like uh, grungy in the best way. So people came in. And to the right, we had these, like, carnival installations. And folks would come in, and so there was one called the weight-guessing booth. So folks would come up, and it's, like, this full-body black woman. It's like, I'm going to guess your weight. And she might have you raise your arms or turn around, and then she would whisper in your ear something like, you're waiting for your father to say sorry. Mm. Um, she made lots of folks cry. But she, and she would say a different thing. Like She was like, Monet, I would just say whatever came to me for that person. Um, we had a life-size operation game with this, like, uh, black artist as the head. And another black artist is kind of like the, the game player to get folks to pull a card. Um, and there were different things. So, like, near the crotch, crotchular region, <laughs> it was, like, repressed sexual chocolate. Or in the stomach of, like, unholy foods. And you, like, pull a slinky to, like, represent, like, chitlins or whatever, sure. right? We had a, a fortune teller's booth. We had this piece I'm, I, we call Glory Hole, W-H-O-L-E. And it had all these holes in it with different, like, titles. So um, sorrow, you put your hand in sorrow. with like this wet salt. Or glow, you put your hand in with shea butter. Or um, God, you put your hand in and someone will touch you. And then black girl's butt, you put your hand in there, someone would slap your hand. <laughs> and we had a maze and then we had darkness so once everyone went to the installation we would shepherd all the people into this scene darkness and the capacity for this show was 75 people and in darkness that the same white box that the woman was on in the last piece would be in the front corner and this white man in a white suit would be standing on the box facing the wall and he's just like saying all the things that we say to ourselves like all our internalized oppressions all our fears like no one cares about you. You're going to die alone. And he's saying this over this track that I recorded where I'm like, hey, y'all, I'm glad you're here. Like, whether it's five of you or 75 of you, y'all, this is me doing it scared. Like, why are you here? So I'm just, like, talking and, like, mm. sharing. Meanwhile, there's three folks walking through saying affirmations in an I, a we, or a you. Like, you are brilliant. We are abundant. So it's like I am everything. Cacophony. Of- <laughs> it's my brain. And yeah. then there's CJ, my fr- my friend and dope artist CJ, running around like, oh, Kanye, why bread and butter pickles? There's no bread or butter. Like, he's just non sequitur. Right, so right, he, right. so you, like, you hear laughter <laughs> in one corner. Someone else over here is responding to, the, to Ken on the block. It was just like really intense. Intermission. 
Then they would come to the other side and it's like set up like a circus. And that's where the performance would happen. And we had um, like the strong man and we had a mammy. We had like a Jezebel character, had a trickster and, and I was the ringmaster. And they're all kind of like showing who they are and introducing themselves in different ways and performing just like they would in a circus. And there comes a moment where I had the Jezebel and the Mammy fighting each other like wild animals. And they're on these leashes held by the white man and the black man. Hmm. But then the Jezebel character, she's like, Monet, this is about your body. And the whole show flips and it's kind of like about me reckoning and them also reckoning. So all of these pieces coming together. Okay. So the very end, pretty much, I come out and I'm like trying to end the show like nothing happened. And I start coughing and I start coughing up these ping pong balls that say shame on them. Mm. And on everyone's seat, they had a bag with like a glow stick and a ping pong ball with shame. So I start coughing it up and the cast is like, let it out, Monet, let it out. And they start telling the audience, like, let it out. So everyone starts like throwing these ping pong balls out, which is also a really lovely sound. It's just like these ping balls with the word shame on it. So I come down to the edge of the stage and I'm like, can everybody put their hands up? So everybody puts both their hands in the air and I blindfold myself and I say, um, put your hands down if you have long and slender toes. Put your hands down if you are taller than 5'3". Put your hands down if you weigh less than 150 pounds. Put your hands down if your hair is a looser curl than mine. Put your, and I just keep going around all these things I've ever wanted my body to be. Yeah. Like lighter and thinner and looser hair and eyes a lighter color. Like I just keep going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And I take the blindfold off and I'm the only one left with my hands up. And then I put my hands down and I just start like introducing my body. Like these are my jiggly arms. And these are my, like, kneecaps that look like baby owls. And this is, like, my eyebrow. And when I don't wax, it looks like my grandmother, Evelyn. And here's my bottom lip. I got it from my grandfather, Bob. And this is my chin, and I got it from my mama, right? So they, if I didn't, people often cried. I cried sometimes. People in the audience cried. And, and when I look back at the feedback, what I found the most is, like, how many people were, like, you were telling my story, and they didn't even always look like me. And I think that is one of the things that I really walked away with. I'm like, we are all carrying these narratives that we are not enough, not big enough, small enough, tall enough, short enough, like that just light enough, dark enough. Like it's just, we're just carrying these stories and we don't have to. Um, and actually we're walking around saying the same things to ourselves. And what does that actually mean? So I cannot tell you that now I feel like completely rid of all my like <laughs> inferior thoughts, but I think I have a place and I'm like, Monet, how many other millions of women are thinking about, or people are thinking the same thing right now about their bodies? And what does that actually mean? So do you feel like the, the process is as important as watching the outcome to you in terms of how you move through the, the, the question you're trying to get at with your art? Mm, I'm definitely more processed than outcome. I'm really process-driven. Um, even just the shifts that I saw happening among my cast, if no one had else had come to um, the shows, we would have already won. Hmm. One of the performers shared on her Facebook page about, like, she's like, Monet, you didn't know that when you asked me to be in this show that I was, like, in a really dark place. Like, I didn't actually know if I still wanted to be here. And, like, you put me in this show where I had to like look at my body every day and think about my body and like move my body. And I don't know if I've like 
love myself as much as I do right now or like from this process and like felt as free. To which I replied, girl, if I was hydrated right now, I'd be crying. <laughs> but I'm dehydrated. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just I just felt like so much transformative shifts. But then also, I mean, even now, like I can go to Whole Foods or be at like uh, Coco Cinnamon. So I'm like, You're my, I saw your show. It was so good. I felt these things. Uh, and I'm just like, they, it feels very weird if people yeah. do that. And I'm like. Yeah, because we're feeling the same thing, yes. and I'm, right, I'm, right, and I, I'm grateful to stand in the gap for so many other folks. Um, I'm just really, really grateful. This third part of your series, I'd love for you to kind of give us a preview sure. as much as you're willing to, because it does seem like a natural cathartic arc end. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So um, it's across five locations in Durham. The guiding question for the piece, which is by my art and call it holy, is what would church look like in a queer black grandma's kitchen? Which is to ask, what would church look like in my kitchen in the future? (laughs) It's the real question. (laughs) Um, And and the answer is one of the things I learned from my grandmothers, um, whose names are Evelyn and Selma, uh, is that it's radical hospitality. My grandmothers both didn't know who was coming, but they were always prepared for you, right? Like there was always a snack. There was always a cup of tea. There was always some country time lemonade. There was something for you. Um, And that feels really important. So I'll be there for six days straight um, serving tea and having fresh baked bread. And people just come and hang. And I'll have my holy text in the space of like James Baldwin and Octavia Butler and Alice Walker and books that other folks are going to donate. And then each night or afternoon, there's different programming. So like we'll have uh, a day of celebration, which is like a dance party. Move. It's not really a party. It's a movement space. We really want folks to like be in their bodies and like, what's that move that you really want to do, but you feel like it's too much to do at the <laughs> dance party? <laughs> this is the space to do that. Um, we're having a night of meditation, a night of visioning, a grief ritual. Just like, what are you mourning? We're doing a night of sensuality at the fruit. And we're doing uh, a community dinner at the Durham Hotel. Then we're doing two Sunday services. So so it's not any religion, um, but it is thinking about spirituality and, like, humanity and connection as the most holy thing. And all the programming is free, and everything's family-friendly except for the Night of Sensuality. I'm excited because... I'm really just holding space and creating opportunities for other folks to explore their own artistry. And I really want us to have some place to to play with that. Are there one or two moments from this past year, I'm sure there are many, that fuel you to keep doing this incredibly brilliant creative work? One moment. Um, so my mom, I really wanted to go to therapy with my mom before I put the second show out Um, Mm. because so much of my relationship to my body is related to her to her relationship to my body and my relationship to her and her relationship to her body Um, so she came the first night with my dad um, which was low-key stressful they were like their faces were just like what is oh god what are you doing what is happening Um, and then the second time she came she sat front row center with her therapist really yeah and that moment was just like something is happening right now i can't actually put words to it i was like there's a shift that is happening right now like in her in us in me 
just by seeing her and like her doing that act. So that was definitely one of them. And then I think the second literally might have happened today. I literally today got the confirmation for the fifth space that we're going to do the show. I knew that we would figure it out. Like, I trust myself. I trust my team. And I trust my community. That if I said, like, I'm going to do this thing, y'all, that, like, we would figure it out. Right? Knowing that I was making this piece at home and making it with my people, I was Mm -hmm. like, you know what? We're just going to keep moving forward. And I trust. I trust. I trust. I trust my community. And just, like, and just like I knew they would, they came through. And I think that's one of the things that just allows me to keep making um, and keep being bold and take big risk. Wow. Well, Monet, Monet, Marshall. Marshall. You'll see her next on Oprah. Uh, For real. It'll be like her damn book club book next year. It's going to be your trilogy. We are so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for braving the horrible November weather. And we cannot wait to see your upcoming show. And we recommend that everybody do so. Where can people find you? They can find me on Facebook at Monet Noel Marshall. You can find me on Instagram at Madam Monarch. That's Madam with an E. Or you can find the information about the show at buyitcallit.com. Y'all better go check it out. Why? Yeah. Yeah. B-U-I. Y'all go check it out now. (laughs) Now. Immediately. (laughs) And that is it for She and Her, which is a production of WHUP in Hillsborough, North Carolina. It is casted, (laughs) produced, color corrected, sound edited. By us. You can find us at sheandherradio.com, at sheandherradio on Facebook and Instagram. And write a review. Write us a review. Yeah. We would love it. It helps people find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and we'll see you all soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.